Hi, everybody, and welcome to another week of DCA's Fireside Chat Series. We're excited to have you here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm Andrew Daniel. I'm a senior investment banker here on the team at DCA. Uh, Digital Capital Advisors is turning 10 years old uh, here in September, just a couple weeks away. Um, and this series is part of that celebration. Uh, this is episode number four. Uh, Digital Capital Advisors is a technology-focused investment bank. Uh, we've got offices in New York, Berlin, and San Francisco, uh, and operate globally. Uh, today, uh, we have a very exciting guest. Uh, we've got uh, Matt Roche from Extol on the line. Matt, it's uh, great to have you here. It's great to be here and congratulations on 10 years. That's really an accomplishment. Yeah, thank you very much. We're excited, although a little bit disappointed as we sometimes joke on the show that we can't celebrate in our office. Uh, as many of you know, we're based up on the 76th floor of the Empire State Building, so we were hoping to have a, a bit of a fiesta up there, but I, I think unfortunately those plans were put on pause. But uh, rightfully so, I suppose. Um, all right, well, why don't we start and tell everybody about Extol and get a bit of an overview of the business. It would be great to hear the story and the evolution of how you guys ended up where you are, um, get a sense of the products that you guys have and have been on the USPs and key differentiators, and then we can talk a little bit more about the industry and, and broader trends. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, do you mind if I, if I sort of tell it as a narrative a little bit? Please do. Because so, so when I started, uh, I had a prior company called Offermatica, and it was a A-B testing and multivariate testing platform. It became Adobe Target. And one of the things we learned when we were running is, so we would run this, this, this ever-increasing sophistication of conversion rate optimization. And one of the things we found is, okay, we just improved your you know, revenue per visit by 6%, which is a massive amount of money for the customers that we're serving. And they were like, great, now we can spend more on Google. Right, so you do this enormous amount of work, and the only guys who are ever really benefiting from it are Amazon, Google, and Facebook. And it just struck me that that as the you know even back when we start we're we're doing this that the amount of money the as a rate ratio of the revenue was absurd thirty to forty percent of revenue going to these companies simply for the click. And so what I was looking around for in 2013 was is there a marketing platform that drives revenue that does not require me to pay the toll taker. Right. And it took a long time. And so found Extol. It was sort of a broad-based marketing platform, but one of the tools that they had was um, refer a friend. And I was like, that's interesting, right? It definitely drives revenue and it uh, does, I, I don't have to pay Facebook, Google. I, mean, I could use them, but it's free, right? And then, so we got started, said, hey, let's be a point solution for referral. And it became very clear that that it worked. Everybody needed it. It drove revenue. We got 100 competitors, you know, referral candy, referral ninja, referral Sasquatch, just all these different little companies. And it was almost impossible to differentiate. So at the same time, we did a lot of data analysis and realized, oh, my God, you know, this acquisition is interesting, sort of a, a form of affiliate. What's really interesting is the advocates. And we started, we shifted our whole thinking from kind of a, a campaign and outcome thinking into a people thinking. And that's really where, where our whole vision comes from now. Where our, what we believe we do is we're just, we're trying to drive revenue by activating your entire customer base. And it right now is exploding. Very cool. And let's step back a little bit and just talk about the landscape. And so as we think about it, you've got kind of referral, you've got loyalty, you've got advocacy. Sometimes those are used anonymously. Um, give me a sense of how you think about the landscape and the broader ecosystem that you guys ultimately operate within. That is a great question. So it's, so I imagine like a pie, right? And I, 
you know, being a relatively self-centered guy, I'm going to put the, the top slice, the slice closest to me is referral, right? Sure. Well, referral is I, I take people that I know and I ask them to help me bring in people I don't know. Well, if I go one pie slice to the left, I get influencer. There are people that I eh, may or may not know that are bringing in people I know for incentives. One more slice to the right of that is affiliate, where it's people that are purely commercial entities bringing in people for an incentive, right? So there's this whole half of the pie that's incentive-based marketing that goes from affiliate to influencer to referral. Then I have to go around the other side of the circle. I'm like, well, you know, if I can incentivize people to bring in new customers, can I incentivize them to visit my store? Can I incentivize them to make another purchase? Now you're into loyalty land. And to the left of that is email, right? So, so you can kind of see the spread where, and then maybe the last piece is paid media, sure. where it kind of joins together. But those are really all the slices that connect kind of direct consumer communication to partner communication um, and tie it together. One of the things that we think about, and, and this comes back to a recurring theme on the show, is ultimately the idea that all of these solutions, you think about that pie, when done right, really rely on data, right? And ultimately, at the center of that pie, if you will, is the ability to understand the end consumer and understand at a very granular level where they exist inside of the ecosystem, how you can access them, and ultimately how to leverage them uh, in a, an influencer setting, in an affiliate setting, in a, even a traditional advocacy setting. So there's that, that data center core that exists. I'd be curious, as you think about that pie, each of those slices has been around for a different amount of time, right? And sometimes they feel like yeah. they've been around forever in this category. I'd be curious how you think about the evolution of the space and where we exist, perhaps, relative to the holy grail that you can be able to need to end up at. It's a great, it's not a great question. The, um, two for two. Two parts, <laughs> I know, man. I could do this all day. I've done yeah. this twice. <laughs> so, um, Here's two ways to think about it. One is, is if we think back to like 2000 and sort of the emergence of e-commerce, most of the evolution over the last 20 years has been a one journey. Sure. It's been an ad, a landing page or an app, and a conversion, right? And we are spectacularly good at this journey. I mean, I can do keyword optimization, bid optimization, audience targeting, landing page optimization, product suggestions. I have, you know, math that goes beyond, you know, what, what the, the top scientists had 10 years ago so that I can sell sheets to somebody. Yeah. Right. And we're so good at that. The problem is it reduces the customer to a cookie and a credit card. One of which is going away. Yeah. Right? So, so we're just treating people like how much can you spend? Now, if we look at post-purchase marketing, it's primitive. It's like, I'll send an email, maybe I'll send an email to a better segment, but nothing even close to what's going on in that first part. So what you see is a, a set of companies that are coming out that are kind of on the post-purchase side or close to it in the case of affiliate and, and influencer where you're saying, well, maybe we need to get smarter. And I think it's, it boils down to three categories. One is, is point source programs. These are people like, Hey, I do email capture. I do affiliate. I do sure. ratings and reviews. I do refer a friend. There are loyalty platforms which deal with kind of, I'm going to understand what level you're at and potentially give you points and privileges. And then there's CDPs, which is tracking of behavior. Sure. The problem we see right now is CDPs are trying frantically just to model everything in the universe and they won't succeed, yeah. but they don't do anything. Yeah. Everything else is done by somewhere else. And so it's just, Hey, yeah, I'll collect whatever you want. What for your customer support people, the programs do things, but they're so fragmented. Each one is a tiny little slice that it's almost impossible to, to, to create rich conversations and loyalty is just stuck 20 years ago. 
I sometimes sound like a broken record, but I, I think for us, you know, what we and on the show in particular is continue to speak to data companies and companies that are dealing with this problem. As we think about the landscape, and even if we think about the pie you just laid out to start with, and I think what you're hinting at now is on one side, you get execution capabilities. And these are your email marketers, the folks that are doing a variety of point solutions, whatever it might be. And I tend to agree with you. Highly verticalized. Sometimes they have revenue scale, particularly the broader ones, right? Marketing automation, some of the capabilities that exist have generated genuine revenue scale. And the execution might be proprietary, but they lack data insights. On the other side, you have the data players. And CDP is one example of this, but there's others in here as well, right? Location intelligence used to be a popular one, although that's faded out. Transaction data players, that's there. Um, and when you have these two worlds, they're kind of separated from each other. And I think there's a, a thesis to be made that ultimately you need to commingle these. And one thing we make a lot, um, and that's a very enticing proposition from a private equity perspective or even from a strategic roll-up perspective. What we don't think is valuable is simply the piping. Uh, we think that if you are able to go over on the execution side and say, look, we can pipe together a few of these solutions and make it spit out into a nice platform, you know, here's a photo of a chart. We don't think that's very interesting. What we think is a differentiator on the data side and ultimately will flow into the execution layer is the idea that you can drive an AI ML engine genuinely. And I think that's something that's not genuine today if you look out in the landscape. Lots of people say they have it, they don't. But if you can derive actionable insight that is really compelling and proprietary and do so really broadly, right? And I think that involves things that we don't have today, which is identity data merged with activity data, which is traditional CDP, merged with transactional data and some of the credit card stuff that's the, the days of the past, uh, mixed in with others as well. If you can create that, merge it with execution, you become a very powerful solution, particularly if the link between actual insights and execution is really strong and the execution result back to the data is strong. It becomes a very nice positive cycle. I think we look at it potentially being the holy grail of Martech Stack 2.0. That is what we are doing, to be perfectly honest. So we have become a broad-based marketing platform you know, built around the concept of advocacy, but really we built it around the concept of activity so let me tell you I'd like a way of thinking about it. So when Radio Shack and Sports Authority uh, went bankrupt, I don't know, four or five years ago, I remember reading the articles and be like, so Radio Shack sold for, I'm going to make up a number, $30 million. Like, what are they buying? Right? Like, it made no sense to me. And so, you know, I asked around and people were like, well, you know, they have, they have this house list and some purchase preferences and things like that. So with the number of customers they have data on, that's what that data was worth. And I was like, okay, that's modestly interesting. But what if I could actually make an equation that said, here's everything a customer does and give each one a little coefficient. I could make a math statement that says like this many people who are advocates, this many people who are influencers, this many people who visit the store, et cetera, et cetera. I might be able to create a number, which was your brand. Like I could say, hey, your number's down, which means your brand is getting worse. Or your number relative to your competitor is lower or higher, which means it's better or worse. And it just dawned on me that, that understanding your consumer as not a buyer, but a participant was the critical shift. Well, once you do that, you have to ask yourself, well, now I have two things I got to build. I got to figure out how to capture and track all of the types of activities. So non-transactional activities, purchases, shares, visits, referring, rating, reviewing, contrib contributions. I have to have an ability to segment that isn't just spend, spend more, spend more often, or spend more in New York. Yeah. And then I have to have programs on top that actually drive the action because most loyalty is really just a, a data capture platform and a rewarding platform. And so that's what we built. And so now we're doing, we have many, many kinds of programs beyond refer a friend. The, the one that's most fun recently is our nominations program. 
And we just got a message from one of our big shoe manufacturers, one of the biggest in the world. They said, we want to do a uh, nomination program for fr- first line workers during COVID because we can't do our standard marketing. Well, so we, they're like, oh, that's really, we're like, that's a cool idea. They're like, can you help us get it done? We're trying to get it done as quickly as possible. We had it running the next day. Wow. Because we could wire together the action, promoting it to the participants, understanding, you know, capturing the activity and sending out the reward, which is the, the shoes. Right? And it's connecting all these things that made it so much easier. And now I think we have maybe 20 companies running them. And this is over the course of like 60 days. Right. Right. So it's, it is, I think you're dead on. It's, it's action segment um, and, and eventually ML. And I can get into more later if you care about our, my opinion on that. I would be very curious. I think this is a natural segue to that because, again, I think you, know, you guys are certainly pointing together in an interesting way. I think you bridge that gap in your particular segment. I'd be curious the engine that you guys create, and I think others will be curious as well with regards to tying those data sets together and how you think about the broader market. And, and, and I'll give you my bias, which is I think we hear a lot about AIML engines and very rarely find it demonstrated. In fact, for the folks in private equity that are going to listen to this, we just had a report to them showing that you know, there are very few companies we really believe are part of the stack that are really getting these two things linked together. So it would, would be great to get your perspective and hear a little bit about what you guys have done today. Okay. so. So it's funny. I, it's very odd because I actually went to uh, college back in um, the late 80s uh-huh. and I chose my college to do AI. I was a little ahead of the curve on that one um, because it was one of the top guys uh, in AIML was, was at the school and I am fascinated by it. But I think that it is one of the most mythical things on earth. Agreed. Not that AI is mythical, but if someone comes and says, I have a generalizable AI platform, kick them out the door. Yeah, because right? reality, I, I call it the it's, it's the the baseball versus football problem, right? So imagine you're writing ML for baseball and football. Well, baseball, yes, I know a lot happens and it's very sophisticated. But let's be clear: like three things happen in baseball: <laughs> sure. you know, pitch, catch, pitch, catch, pitch, catch, hit, right? And maybe there's a stolen base in there, but but there's and there's also enormous numbers of games during the season. Yeah. Right. All of which have exactly the same pattern over, you know, so you have this, this really constrained data set that has huge amounts of duplication. Yeah. Right. And you get into football and literally no play will ever happen the same way. Yeah. Right. So you're never going to guess that they're, that they're going to run this route in the last 10 seconds in the Super Bowl where the guy, you know, they're putting in a different receipt. Like there's so many variables. So you just don't get the, the data sets are not normalized. So normalized data sets like, visual and speech, you get enormous quantities of data with relatively limited patterns. You can do it, do it well. When you do it with Google, with link links, you can do it unbelievably well because you get trillions and trillions of links, all of which look exactly the same. So you really can build it. What people are trying to do is say, I'm going to do an AI for something that happens 600 times. You can't even run an AB test on something that happens 600 times. Right. And I ran the biggest AB platform in the AB testing platform in the world. Like, the amount of, of, of bad testing that goes on. And testing is just really the statistical baby brother of AI. Yeah. You know, you need so much data that is so similar to make AI work. So what I see happening, and it will happen in our space, is you'll have AI for fraud. You'll have AI for, um, you know, bots or bad actors. Sure. Because there's enormous amounts of traffic that you can identify as bad actor. And you can start coalescing around, well, there's certain countries or certain VPNs or certain nodes in the network, blah, 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 right? That's why the stuff that Google does with uh, anti-fraud that people put on their sites, and I cannot remember the name, 
So it really has to do with can you collect enormous amounts of data and then that is extremely normalized. What our goal is, is we started with referral because we wanted to have something that happened lots and lots of times. Turns out it wasn't referral that happened lots of times. It's giving people coupons. And that's the incentivizing that, that makes the big difference. Interesting. One of the things that we think about frequently on the banking side is what are the pieces of the MarTech stack that are the most compelling to put together, right? If you're able to build this engine and linkage capability, which it sounds like you guys have done, then it goes over to the execution side and says, how do you want to execute this stuff, right? What do we want to do with the actual insights that I'm talking about and what's the link <laughs> to the execution? The easy answer is, and this is an answer we frequently give, as much as you can, right? It should be everything from traditional MarTech stack into ad tech, into customer success, into everything you can imagine under the sun. And I think referral loyalty and advocacy sit in that side of the equation. I'd be curious, as you think about the key pieces of execution that are most meaningful inside of what I consider and constrained as MarTech, perhaps, but you can go broader than that. I'd be curious how you think about that yeah. side of the equation in A, what you guys have done today, and B, where you think we need to be. So where are the edges of the problem? <laughs> you know, from my perspective, I, there will not be a one CDP, yeah. right? There will be many. And mm -hmm. the, the main reason is that, uh, you know, we found this out with Offermatica, that when you're dealing with humans, especially in a digital environment, you get maybe 200 milliseconds to make a decision. Yeah. Now, for 200 milliseconds to make a decision, it means that whatever data that you, that you are working on, you either have to have it or process it very, very close to where that person is. Wow. All right, so you have to have their segments pre-processed. You have to have, you can do simple logic, but you are not going to call up three servers in the middle of someone's transaction unless you want to give them an atrocious experience. Yeah. So what you'll find is, is that any, any interaction medium will have their own kind of island of highly tuned data, sure. which will look a hell of a lot like a CDP. Sure. And so like if you're in the, if the mobile uh, engagement management and web engagement management will use sort of edge-based computing to put things out there to make it so you can most likely create a personalized experience for someone. Then there will be data lake type stuff that's saying, listen, for the purpose of understanding this person's customer's value over the long term, where they are in the life cycle, I'm going to have a tool that looks at the data in a different way. And those are going to be different tools. There's no one's going to be able to build all this stuff. It's just too damn hard. Um, and so, so I do believe the question is how many do you, do you organize by platform? Do you organize by, you know, as, as you're suggesting with us by like advocacy, I think there's going to be single engagement platforms. I don't think it's going to be Adobe. I don't think it's going to be Salesforce. There's yep. an, some odds it'll be Shopify. Right, because the amount, the number of things that you have to offer is so gigantic that you have to have a sort of neutral platform, and neither Salesforce nor Adobe has that. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it does to some extent. I guess the the thing that we think about a lot is agreed. You can't have a level of dexterity that requires speed, particularly in a real time event. So exactly. onto a site to build personalization immediately is really difficult. Uh, to leverage that data set in a broad way pre-engagement in a real-time setting or post-engagement, so uh, email marketing, social content, whatever, text messaging, as simple and old world maybe, and others, right, coupons that you mentioned, some of the other things, I think that's real. Speed otherwise is a challenge. I don't know if we believe that CDP is the right solution, but it'll look something like a CDP, right, and use some of the, the pieces of a CDP. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that 
you know, there are a number of players today that on the data side tried to solve certain things. I think about businesses like Bounceax, which I guess is now Wonderboy, um, who are using an entity. I see that one yielded a smile. You've got Near, who I had on the show the other day, and, and they were doing uh, transactional data and trying to take transactional data insights. So there's lots of bits and pieces. I question what that ultimately ties together. But, but I saw a smile on Bounceax. Maybe I'll get your, uh, your perspective there. I will tell you the, uh, the big problem with marketing technology is that there are marketers and there are technologists. <laughs> sure. And I value both enormously. Yeah. Like I do not think one is better than the other, but you have this constant, you know, goes back to buddy media and wildfire and where you get people who are very adept at building systems that sort of do what a customer wants to and onboards them well. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. And then you have people who build, these, these massive underlying architectures and they're not the same people usually. Yeah. I would say we are on the, you know, I've spent 25 years in e-commerce, so I know a hell of a lot about marketing, but I wouldn't say that I am, uh, have the same DNA as someone who's in New York and grew up in the agency. World. Sure. Sure. But our architecture is unbelievable. And so I, what happens is, is you get a point source solution that says, I'm going to transform into a platform and they do it by hiring more programmers. Like Smile IO, or um, you know, I'm not going to mention names. It's, it's it's impolite. I apologize for that one. Um, and and it breaks. And so it's either light. I would say like someone like Yatpo is is in one of these cases where either where it's so light, like what they do is trivial and it answers the question of what a customer wants. I want a, a system that allows me to do ratings and reviews. Great. Here's one. See the ratings button. See the reviews button. Wow, that was easy to integrate. Yeah. The problem is every single person gets the same program. And now every single customer looks exactly the same. Yeah. And so who's going to deliver a, you know, a scalable platform that allows you to, to build different types of programs over time without breaking? Because they all break. Yeah. Adobe ended up breaking you know, the, because it's hard to make something into something else. What, what we're attempting, and we may break too, but what we're attempting is to say every time that we make a change, we are thinking through the architecture top to bottom to make certain that, that we understand that our model matches humans. Yeah. What do humans do? Where do they do it? How to, and so we're moving from a, you know, our, our safe space, which is this advocacy influence into transactional loyalty, into engagement loyalty, but the platform doesn't have to change to do it. Right. And that's what's, what's, I think we have the architecture that other people simply don't have. And that's an advantage, I mean, clearly an advantage from a broadening of the solutions. That perspective, I do think, yeah. Yeah in an aggregate. And I didn't yes. talk all about the large players. I think their, their challenge, I use this uh, illustration I think many people use, which is, you know, they pile this giant pile of stuff on the table and they pass it across the way to large enterprise and large enterprise swallows it because they kind of have to and they're okay with a you know, limited ROI, blah, blah, blah. They tap that customer set out, go to middle market, pass that same style of stuff across the table and all of a sudden it's in no way, right? And those people walk out and go to other <laughs> like yourself. And I think they're aware that, that challenge exists. Um, I think they're aware they want to access the middle market because fundamentally need the growth and the revenue front. I think it's particularly pertinent for Adobe, uh, Oracle, a little bit for Salesforce, but better diversified. Um, and their solution was, let's go build CDPs, right? We talk about these two linking, execution and data. They're a perfect example of tons of execution and a million different pieces, pretty limited data. They thought they could build the data. And what they built was something that felt a whole lot like an M particle or a segment, which is piping, right? And ultimately, we can ensure yeah. that the data is good quality, which is our USP, but we're really just the pipes. And we can spin yep. it out 
start and they miss that execution insight layer, which we're talking about. And I think they're in a spot now where they realize that. And the question is, what do you do? Um, what I don't think is going to happen is all of a sudden Adobe's going to turn the corner tomorrow and say, let's go build a new stack. It's going to feel a lot more like what it is we're talking about. And so I think it creates an opportunity for either A, companies out in the ecosystem that are smaller today to begin to aggregate a variety of pieces together to broaden their set. If the engine is yeah. really small, and again, we just yeah. sort of talking about CDPs or one of those wedges, but not the only one. Uh, and then alternatively, what it creates is an opportunity for mid-sized players. So you, uh, you mentioned Shopify, which I think the average person probably wouldn't think about from their position as one that could be a consolidator. But for those in their industry, you know, very interesting market position, lots of customers and lots of access to dollars that they can steal yep. solutions. And as we speak to those guys, I think that's the lens that we see. Um, through to a HubSpot and some of the others who, again, are in that mid-size, haven't perhaps made the errors that the larger guys have made and still have a lot of optionality while being hesitant of their ancestors, right? And looking out and saying, we don't want that to happen to us. Um, and that sweet spot doesn't seem to exist in today's market, but we're progressing slowly in the right direction. There's a really, I mean, one of the things that surprised me during the course of this of Extol is that there there hasn't been a middle in a long time. Yeah. Now I would say Shopify is that middle now and they're rapidly moving out of it. But in terms of, there's lots of little companies around like eight to 20 million and not a lot, but there's enough. And then there's the game of Thrones, but there's very little in the middle. Whereas when we were doing Informatica, there was Omniture and there was core metrics and there were companies that were, you know, 60 to 150 million that were not giant, but not small. And so that's why we're talking about these roll-ups is because there's nobody out there who's in a position to do any rolling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really, it's kind of amazing that, that what's going to have to happen is someone is going to have to take little companies and put them together wow. because there isn't the traditional, I mean, maybe there's Cheetah is one of the ones that, that comes around, but I haven't really seen much out of it. And yeah. it's a very old tech. Yeah. So I'm not that sanguine about it. You know, I had talked about doing it with, uh, two of the big loyalty providers a couple of years ago, um, they both got acquired. So that was made it a little harder. So I, I mean, I think Adobe's going to have to buy somebody to do this. Yeah. Agreed. They just simply don't have the people to pull it off. And that's the fundamental issue is, is the amount you have to keep in your head to understand the whole marketing stack is staggering. It's so complicated. And so we're going to have two worlds where Shopify is, you know, it's going to be Segment and maybe a Clavio and, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a set of companies that, that um, Yachtpo for reviews kind of thing that, that people just use. And so every D2C company just kind of gets on and does it and then they find they all look the same. Yeah. And then 30% of the mattress companies go out of business. Yeah. Because like you can't innovate with Shopify and three other platforms. That is exactly what every one of your, your competitors is buying. And they, none of the platforms can do anything but the thing they do. And then you have the Adobe at the top that's big. We're trying to occupy the middle, honestly, is to say you need to do something more sophisticated and uh, custom, but not custom like custom writing your own software, custom like how fast can you get an interesting idea out into your customer's hands? I think is a banking perspective here, we see a real uh, parallel to ad tech, right? I mean, I think ad tech oh, yeah. has evolved very differently than the MarTech ecosystem in the sense that in MarTech, as you're pointing out, there's a gap in the middle that certainly exists, right? And whether that line is at 20 million or 50 million in revenue, who knows? But there's a gap sure. between 
that tier and then ultimately the really big guys with very little in between. Um, and that's happened for obvious reasons, right? On one side, the lower market in MarTech is incredibly fragmented, perhaps more than almost any industry, thousands and thousands and thousands of players, uh, all of which are fighting for limited dollars. Uh, two, all the big companies have been acquired, right? As they continue to grow and push, the big guys are so powerful and unlike an ad tech so profitable and have cash, that they're reaching down into the bucket and buying. And so it's rare that one slips by that ultimately ends in that middle ground. In sure. ad tech, though, we've seen a bit of a different development. You know, five years ago, 10 years ago, again, ad tech crowded, although maybe not to the extent of MarTech. Um, you have big players that take off. In fact, the Entrepreneurs Investment Fund, our fund, um, was one of the, the first investors in the trade desk. And so we know what it looks like to go big and ultimately take off in ad tech. But it's a very different buyer's landscape. You have small companies that exist, sub 20, sub 50, wherever the line is. And you've got a couple big players that have revenue scale, but most don't really have the ability to transact because their models aren't as profitable as what you see in MarTech and they're not as healthily traded, right? They're bad multiples. What's happened though is those little companies got bigger in ad tech and now exist in the middle. So uh, business in mind, Triple Lift, you've got IGA Works out of Korea. You've got all these different players that have revenue scale in the 100 to $300 million of revenue scale basis. Our profitable businesses look really nice but struggle to do anything transactionally, right? Besides distribute dividends to their investors, there's no big acquirer to come in knocking on the door, particularly with the trade desk looking internationally. And so you end up with a very stagnated landscape where companies every year get slowly bigger or die off. And that parallel has been an interesting one to go watch mature. And it's a question of what I think ultimately happens in both those sectors down the road. The ad tech guys would love to be classified as MarTech. In fact, they fight all day long to go do that as they become SaaS solutions, try to be data analytics players so that there is an ability to transact. You know, <laughs> but in MarTech, you know, that polarity, I think, is one that we're certainly close to. And from the banking side, frequently look at that gap. I think it's, it's spot on. So the way I think about it is uh, ad tech is like the trading desk at a bank and MarTech is like the mortgage mortgage guys. All right, so the mortgage guys are like, you know, I just have to get another mortgage and get another mortgage and get another mortgage and get another mortgage and they'll add up to lots of mortgages and lots of money and we'll make consistent profit. But our growth will be relatively linear. We can't go from one mortgage to a thousand mortgages next month. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Trading desks, you could go from a dollar to a billion. I mean, it just yeah. depends on how good your trade is. Yeah. You could also go from a billion to negative billion. Uh, right? So, so you, you tend to get a type of person running those companies that has that volatility um, mindset, uh -huh. the arbitrage mindset. Sure. And whereas on my side of the business, you get into the, the people who have a builder mindset. Sure. So, that, so every once in a while, you'll see someone try to make a deal. It's like, oh my God, we're going to bring together ad tech and MarTech. Well, I'll tell you, I ran a MarTech company and I ran an, an ad tech company. It's literally like, well, I think I'll bring together a retailer and an oil refinery. <laughs> you know, it, this, the word marketing is the only thing in common with these companies. Yeah. And yeah. you just don't, you, that doesn't make sense because you're like, well, wait a second. You know, the guy buying the Google keyword ads is, is landing on the landing pages that Offermatica had. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And so, so these guys want, you know, it's like, yeah, I want an arbitrage business that is, that is uh, uh, valued like an oil well. It's never going to happen. It just doesn't work that way. And so people have to get out of that sort of magical thinking part of it. But that's, that's also the reason why, why you don't see the roll-ups over there. Sure. It's because there's no, there's no reason to do it. You don't really have an asset. Sure. And so why would I roll up a bunch of non-assets? It always cracked me up when people had lead gen businesses and they were bringing in VC funding. And like, okay, like twice that's worked. Yeah. 
I think what we ultimately believe, though, is that as we think about ad tech today, right? I think there's. I mentioned IGA Works. I think is a great example of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they have done a good job in Korea, of course, of bringing in data back advertising technology in a true way, right? Actually having a CDP flowing into the ad tech infrastructure that traditionally exists and trying to make that loop more intelligent. The trade desk, again, being maybe the, the knight in shining armor in ad tech, has done a decent job of building audience insights, trying to bring data in. But it's limited relative to what we've seen in pure play martech settings. I think our thought, as I mentioned here on this call, is you know ultimately the engine that powers both of those things should look similar, if not even be connected in an ideal world. Now you can question whether or not that's a possibility or not. But that's the lens that we think about. Do you agree or disagree with that perspective? I think I, I see where you're going with it, and I think I agree. I think there are two types of, let's say, a consumer's genetic data. Sure. There's one, which is how much are they like other people who have similar intentions or behavior patterns, which is more of the media side. And then the other is, is excuse me, one is more about their intention, one is more about their behavior. Okay. So I may segment you as a customer as being highly engaged or, you know, have a product, has a, have a uh, category preference. And there's a whole set of things that I'll need to categorize you on what level of a loyalty program you're on. Inside of media, it's like you're in market for a car. Right. Or you are, you know, the type of person who spends constantly on impulse purchases versus otherwise. And they're not the same segments, but they could be managed inside of the same or related. So I'll give you that. Like I could go in and say, um, I'm going to figure, I'm going to have people perform, uh, advocacy programs. That way I'm going to find out who's an advocate because if you advocate, you're an advocate. And then I'm going to, you know, try to nurture those people and see how their advocation changes over time. That's marketing or that's site, site marketing or customer-based marketing. I'm going to take my top 10 advocates, do a lookalike for totally unrelated attributes and try to find more of them. That's an advertising job. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that begins to merge together. Some of the ad tech players try to get data solutions. I think what we've seen in ad tech specifically is, can we go out and purchase, and again, we did a deal ad brain to the trade desk, which is the only company trade yeah. desk that we bought, um, which is thinking about audience insights, right? And can we get smarter with regards to some of the things that you're talking about? Um, CDP is far down that path, um, as is location intelligence, as some of the others, although uh, businesses like in market and some of the others have merged some of those things together a little bit. Yeah. Uh, good or bad regard. Um, but again, you know, I think ultimately we believe there is a level of data that exists there. I think it's really hard to merge those two worlds together because the use cases are different for the most part. Um, and as you just pointed out, an interesting analogy, it feels and looks different and is monetized differently as well. Um, but ultimately you end up with hopefully with a very diversified execution side um, where you sit within that execution stack and you can all power it within the same data to some extent, right? Yeah. No one time is hard. Yeah, so, so, but also remember that most ad platforms now are non-identity, sure. except for the platforms. So if you don't own the set.box, the browser, the phone, sure. the likelihood you're going to have data, identity data is very low. Sure. Whereas if you're in my world, everyone identifies themselves. So I have incredible amounts of permissioned identity data. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think this is where we see this line where you have to merge the two because on one yeah. side, identity data, limited insight, unless you're either A, a big walled garden or a platform that's so large you have access to any proprietary device ID. You saw business Sonora, the SoftBank um, in Japan who was doing that. They had device ID data. IGA Works has a massive advantage. We talk about them in Korea because they have access mm-hmm. to devices. Um, 
you know, there, there seems to be an argument on MarTech, the granularity is far superior in a first party setting, what you see in ad tech, and increasingly so, that balance continues to shift. Ad tech's trying to get better to deal with it, but they're never going to get there all the way because they're just simply disadvantaged. Is there a way yes. to merge those two words and, and multiply merge the two data sets? And device IDs are sometimes one way that's talked about, whether or not I believe that, I don't know. But there's lots of different ways folks have tried to merge those two things together to, to mix it up. Well, this is why I care about what I do, okay. is I'm not an ad tech guy. Yeah, sure. I'm not just trying to, I'm not trying to do an ad for myself. I'm trying to talk about like the, sure. the mission we have. I, it blows my eye. I used to have conversations. I remember it was with uh, Tuft & Needle, the mattress company, right? Wow. And they had, they had just shut down their referral program. And, and I was like, why did you shut your referral program down? It's like, well, we feel like no customer should buy their mattress for less than another customer. That's not fair. I'm like, you know what's not fair? Sending 40 cents on the dollar to a fucking company in Mountain View that could not care one iota if you exist and not giving it to your customer. Like that's, that, that is like, if you say, hey, you know what, my daughter, I'm going to give her 40 bucks and my son, I'm going to punch him in the face. <laughs> right? That's literally like, like, how is that marketing? How is that a customer? I'm sorry, you're getting yeah. into my sort of, but that's the way we treat people. Like, so, so I think about it, it's like, yeah, anytime you come up with a new cookie, it's going to get broken. Yeah. Because it's in the interest of Google and a number of other providers that you don't get identity. So it, we're going to be playing cat and mouse for as long as, as, Sure. What identity is, is loyalty. So if I'm willing to say, like, listen, I'm in the loop. I like your products. Sonos, I like your products. I'm willing to give you my identity because I think you're not a bad actor. Right? Then you suddenly find, hey, you can track anything you want yeah. as long as you behave in a modestly decent way and act like you care. Sure. And one of the biggest things that I'm trying to, to get my customers to adopt is just thank you. Right? Send a message just to a, an advocate and just say thank you. Wow. And so if we can get humanity, if you want to track humans, be human. Yeah. And stop trying to do this sort of background stuff, which, yeah, if you win, you win big. Right. But I have a feeling you're going to find that, that the brand is actually the, the customer population. It's not what you do. So it's who your customers are is your brand. It is not what your product is. Right. And the more customers start thinking about it that way, not customer as an exploitable data asset, but customer is something that, that if you have data, it provides you the better ability to connect with them, love them, activate them, engage them. That's where the data goes. I think that holistic customer journey itself is very enticing to enterprise clients um, who get that story, right? And feel that uh, they feel the pain, if you will, with regards to A, targeting folks like data and having done a long yeah doing that and be the associated results plus spending goodness knows how much money on things that maybe don't actually generate the ROI they should um, or if they do are really expensive in the process. And I think can we, can we talk about one of them? Yeah. I mean, coupons. Coupons. Sure. Exactly. I bet there are more coupons in circulation than there are dollars right now. Yeah. I know everyone talks about, oh, there's more points in loyalty programs than dollars. Well, how about coupons? How about vouchers? How about all this? Like, and I talked to the head of one of the major, um, What's it called? Uh, drugstore chains. Yeah. And he was like, and I said, well, how do you deal with incentives? Because honestly, I've been in your store and there's like 5,000 of them in your store. He's like, well, it's an accounting issue. Yeah. Now think about it. Think about if advertising were treated like an accounting issue. You know, like I'm going to look at my P&L to figure out whether my advertising is going well. Yeah. I know you look at actually the transactions and you try as desperately as you can to connect the impression with the commercial. Well, 
none of them have any way of, of tracking that a coupon was done by somebody or that someone, even more importantly, someone regularly used coupons. Frankly, I think that's what scared people in the space, right? I mean, if you think about referral advocacy, uh, loyalty, couponing businesses, a lot of the legacy solutions, none of the, I mean, the new stuff is new, but there's a lot of old stuff that exists in the space and have long, bad legacies. And I think coupons are a prime example of one that scares a lot of people because they look at coupons and go, that didn't work. Um, although, admittedly, the ones that are using coupons to the max are ones that do maybe believe that it works or looking at it in the wrong perspective. But that's a prime example, though, I think, as well, of a business that, has the capability to be successful when deployed the right way, leveraging data and linking the right solutions together. But today, in aggregate, is being deployed very poorly and highly inefficiently. Well, exactly. And think about the logic, underlying logic. I'll send 40 cents on the dollar to Google for that sale, but whoa, I'm not going to put out a 10% coupon. Right. right. Well, there's this, and you've hinted at it, right? There's this fear that are we somehow making the product really discounted? Are we being unfair? And that sometimes holds, we've heard this in buyer discussion. Well, that's awesome, right? Like that's the whole deal. Like, okay, so now let's put our brains to this. How do we motivate people? Because at the end of the day, the coupon isn't really, a, is, is two functions, like, or the incentive. I'd rather use the word incentive because there's lots and lots of them. Right? Yeah. Either it is appreciation, yep. right? It's like just saying, listen, you've, you've done something on behalf of us. We're just giving these to you because we want to share right? And it's special. It is trying to access people who will never buy your product until it gets cheaper, sure. right? And it's trying to get impulse buys. Buy now and you get, you know, this. I, I just want, if you've landed on my site and I've never seen you before, God, I'd like to get you to the finish line, right? So yeah, so now you have to start being sophisticated. You have to not use the coupon cannon. You know, those big t-shirt cannons, you know, at the, at the things like that's the way we use them. It's like, Oh, there's a customer. There's a customer. Right. What we need to do is just say, okay, these are weapons. Like you spend maddening amounts of money tuning your keywords, tune your coupons. Problem is there's no tool to do it. Yeah, What's so interesting to me in this customer journey, right, if you will, and, it, and yeah, yeah. incentive is the term, but it starts sometimes pre-purchase and sometimes certainly post-purchase and repurchase and all this stuff books in, right? There's time and space that exists here that makes the data solutions really interesting to me. The time and space is not when somebody lands on the website, let's go personalize right away. I agree with you. That's a challenge. But if I want to go think about, can I build a campaign to understand this customer based on what I already know about them inside of my own ecosystem and then send them something really targeted and personalized at the right time, there's time and space to operate. And I think that creates a lot of opportunity for the adoption really of nascent data technologies that will ultimately be strengthened and improved to work at least pseudo in a real-time scenario. Yeah, and that gets back to your AI. It's like, sure. if we narrow it down to very kind of simple, repeatable things, it's like, okay, do what type of person responds to a coupon? What type of person responds to a gift card? Like yeah. that may be a solvable thing because there's you know hundreds of millions of instances of each. Yeah. Who redeems them and who doesn't? All right, there's there's just so much that can be done there. And, and you say, oh, I'm never going to do coupons. And, and I've seen this. I mean, again, I've been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. Right. So, like 23 years in e-commerce, and so you start seeing the same cycles come over again. Oh, coupons are working great. And affiliates are working great. Oh no, the affiliates are taking away our margin. We got to get rid of them. Like, it's just sort of, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. this, right? And, and we just, just keep, like, you tend to have to use coupons when your product doesn't really have the value prop yeah. or when you're growing. Sure. But you say, hey, we grew 15% last quarter, we're going to grow 15% again. That, that's not natural. 
natural things have a so it's it's a curve smoother so something wrong with it you just got to get much smarter yeah when people have only two people on their marketing team they're not going to get smarter about it so that's kind of where we come in is to say how can we help you sort of bring in better technology that you can get smarter faster without hiring people especially during covid i tell you one interesting thing about the whole covid phenomenon is yeah, there's the obvious stuff like the decline in, in ad spending and people's change in tone and, and content of it. What I think has been really interesting is, is there's kind of two extremes. There's the cinemas where they go from their revenue to zero. Yeah, sure. What's their biggest question? When it comes back, will we have an industry? Right? Will, there be a, will these customers that we've built up a pattern of behavior for all this time Will that pattern still exist if this goes on too long? Yeah. Then you get people like the food delivery, alcohol, et cetera, who have three to five X revenue. And they're going to have to ask the question, okay, when this is all said and done, is anyone going to stay? Yeah. Right? And so I think we may be going through probably the fastest shift in customer-based marketing that has ever happened because everyone's freaked out about it. It's like, I need to keep that whatever I have, I need to keep screw the new people. I just need to bear hug the people that I got. And I think that is one of the biggest drivers above CDP, above all this, that's, that's driving marketer behavior. Uh, that's where I want to head next. So we think about that as a regression to the mean, right? And that regression to the mean happens in the, the negatively affected ones and in the positively affected ones. I think much like you've just said that we are right at the forefront of digital adoption in this space that we haven't seen before. And I think folks are already seeing it. If I go speak to CDPs, many of them are getting their doors pounded in right now on the sales side of companies who want to understand customer data. If I speak to some of the loyalty and retention businesses, same deal. I think about the e-commerce businesses looking for e-commerce tech, same deal. They're all trying to figure out how do we capitalize on this. I think you're pointing to the pain point, which is you either have lots of new customers that were really worried about what happened to them in nine, 12 months time when they're no longer ordering food as frequently as they are, or they're no longer playing video games as frequently as they are, or they're no longer watching videos. And we've got other scenarios where maybe we have less customers today and or the customer habits are changing, right? I think about retail, for example. I speak to these guys and you know, retail technology businesses that are trying to help retailers understand if I'm Walmart, you know, what does the customer do now, right? If we spent a bunch of money on e-commerce to condition them to e-commerce, do they start blending back in store and what happens? The underlying theme though is generally that folks realize, A, they don't know their customers as well as they should and that they'd like to get more data on it. And B, that there's this need and belief that the customer is changing rapidly, customer preferences are changing rapidly. How can we understand that? And that's fueled a variety of market research players. Forget the big guys, right? Because everybody's sick of playing GFK, Ipsos, whatever else you want to name, hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's a lot more interested in finding lean solutions. But everybody is trying to understand the customer. And I think customer advocacy, customer referral, retention, loyalty, anything you want to name, Undoubtedly, yeah. yeah, sure. Undoubtedly, at an inflection point, would be curious what you're seeing today and real effects you're having in your business. And then, B, you know, what does that look like in six or 12 months' time, right? Does that adoption hold on? Does it dissipate? What are your thoughts on that? Um, okay, so we moved to what we call Beyond RAF about a year and a half ago. Okay. Where we, re- we rebuilt the platform basically from scratch as a journey based. Um, programs with incentives, yeah. right? It's an engagement platform. And right. so now we have, you know, tens of campaigns of different types, surprise and delight, uh, influencer, sure. uh, drop a hint, all these things, right? We anticipated this year that we would probably get 
15 to 20% of adoption of it, right? I think by the end of the year, we'll get 80% adoption. Wow. Right? Because I think it just fast forwarded things by about a year and a half to two years. Most of our conversations are not about referral right now. They are about, okay, how do we increase the overall participation rate of our customers? And that's, that's the way we denominate everything is participation rate. Yep. Like as a ratio of all of your customers, how many of them are, are engaged with you? And so we're, we're frantically signing partnerships with people. I mean, it is a big kind of inflection point for us as a business and not just because of the kind of moved e-commerce, but it's just the general shift away into people saying, I need to engage my customers and I need some, like, I don't have a model for even thinking about it. Yeah. That's what's crazy. I mean, we're like with keywords in, in 2002 where we don't even know how to think about it. Right now, we just take it as, as that it's existed around us like water for all of time. But no, in 2002, nobody knew how to do keywords. Right now, nobody really knows how to engage the customer. So we're saying, listen, it all starts with participation. Refer friends a good way to get people participating because people understand it and they come in, but it's not the only way. Sure. And so let's give them more and more ways and then let's start segmenting them based on how they participate, not just based on how they spend. And so now we have a whole new way of, of thinking about it. And we have to come with a model to help people through this. We can't just say, here's a bunch of bits. What do you want to do? And I think that's the second problem with CDP. It's like, okay, got everything in here. Now what? Now I what? This. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, and so it's, that's why we, we have to tie together this concept of the person and the program. Sure. Program drives people, drives programs, drives people, drives programs, drives people, right? And separately, they just doesn't work. I couldn't agree more. And, and I think it goes back to our big thesis. Maybe I'll end this and I'll get your thought as you think about the, the broader kind of where are we headed question. But, you know, I think that all ties together the fact that you've got these data solutions, you've got the execution solutions, execution in this category, sometimes half-baked to begin with. They don't really even understand the lens and the data certainly half Space. Uh, when you start slamming those things together, it looks ugly. Uh, and it really, there's space, I think, for, and this is where we think about opportunity, space for a platform that, that looks and sounds a lot like you guys, where you blend those two things together to ultimately fill that gap that I think is now a larger gap than it was six months ago. Because I think the digital adoption is going to rip in the space and you're going to see it flow in dollars. And we're already seeing that on the periphery, right? Influencer marketing platform, seeing attention, data platform, seeing attention, yep. seeing attention, even ad tech and martech, seeing attention as it's research. Yep. If somebody can unify those things and let it rip, I think they're going to be in a really great spot. So I, I'm with you on that. Let me ask one big question here towards the end and let me get your thoughts. So I think we talked about it a little bit. As you think about 12 months from now, 18 months from now, 24 months from now, look into the crystal ball, if you will, you know, where are we headed? What kind of progress are we going to see? It can be for you guys. It can be in the industry. I would be curious to get your perspective on that. I really think that the concept of consumer engagement is going to be more of a, just a central topic and CDP is going to fade. Okay. Right. I think it was an interesting topic. It had its four years. Right. It's a database, right? Sure. Right. So it's engagement. So, okay. What behaviors am I storing? How do I segment people according to behavior, not just in terms of transactions? What programs do I run? And how does it fit me? Right? Uh, I think incentives are going to be part of that because most of where our conversations are like, how do I make people feel special without giving them a coupon? Yeah. Right? And now you're, the big shift is the amount of identified behavior or the percentage of identified behavior as a ratio of all behavior is rising so fast. Because if I go in the store, nobody knows who I, who I am. Nobody knows who I'm doing, what I'm doing. If e-commerce just grew 30%, that means they have 30% more like 
understanding of the trivial behaviors that make up a, an engagement, that's the whole shift. That's the whole thing. It's like, oh my God, I know so much. And so, and I can reach them now. Right, so that's, I think it all boils down to that. And it's going to be, I think the, I mean, Google and Facebook will always have a money tree in the basement, sure. but everyone I talk to is saying, I have to find another source other than Facebook and uh, Google. Couldn't agree more. I certainly think we see it the same way. And it'll be very interesting to watch how ultimately enterprise, I think, and customers and brands push the solution providers in the space to expand their solution offerings to deal with this enterprise problem. And I think that, that's not equipped. That's the big question. Like, where are Salesforce and Adobe? Well, like, trying, right? It's not yeah. it's a different. I, mean, I like them both. This is not negative, but it's sort of like, Dude, you're like Boeing and Airbus. Yeah. Like put out a damn plane. This isn't the first time, right? I mean, this is this yeah. is awesome. oh, no, I know. It's it, hard. Different use case. Uh, and I think they're struggling like they always do to say, what do we do? And I think as I think about the MA side as we do as a bank, what's going to happen is there's going to be a really strong emergent from this wave that's going to come. Uh, they're going to see revenue scale, they're going to see fast growth, they're going to be a nice profile, it's going to be attractive. They're either going to be snatched by private equity, who's going to give them a lot of money, uh, and say, look, we'll add stuff into this on the pieces we've been talking about, and we'll give you capital yeah. to do that, or B, a big strategic will reach in. Um, in those first five, 10 transactions that are going to happen in the space or less, one of them is going to be a big strategic who is going to wake up and smell yeah. the coffee and say, we need to own something, we need to do it ourselves. Today, though, as we've been talking about, that middle ground is empty. And so there's not a great thesis for an Adobe or a Salesforce to come in and buy something that gives them something that actually moves the needle right away. And so it's a longer term bet. How comfortable they're going to be with size is always the question with those guys. Um, private equity, though, is beginning to get comfortable with size and looking at a 20 or yeah. $25 million business, I think, becomes exciting for them. Yeah. What do you think of uh, Oracle and CrowdTwist? And I know it's an older deal, but Salesforce and, and Adobe did not follow. Again, so I think I think that's interesting. It's, it's interesting to see where the threshold is for these businesses and how they yeah. get there. I think we've seen a lean, again, from a deal-making perspective, we've seen a lean into, and this is true for Microsoft, you know, the, the whole gamut, right? Microsoft, Oracle, Adobe, whoever else you want to name, we're going to fucking ad tech and more tech, these strategics. They've played this game of, we can drift further and further downstream on size, right, from where we traditionally were. First, it was billion-dollar transactions. Now, it's much smaller transactions. We can get more comfortable with the idea of synergy stories, right? Instead of telling, yep. hey, we're a 20 million revenue business today, instead it's, hey, look, here's the potential existing inside of your sales team and your customer base for us to be a $200 million business. They're buying that more than they were. But they've also come with skepticism and the way they've come with that skepticism and learning that lesson once or twice that maybe that synergy story doesn't play out is can we do commercial partnership, right? Can we, can we get in early and say, can we partner with a company get a real feel if we add them to our list of things we can sell to people, which by the way is a long list. We get a yeah. feel we'll pick that out and then do we see the synergy and uplift and upselling? Is that, is that synergy story true? And when they get comfortable with that, I think you end up with outlier transactions like the one you're hitching to and others as well where one might buy something and the other yeah. don't. Uh, or one might buy something yeah. and to go build something. And so there's this offset that naturally happens. But I think we see that story time and time again where a company will come to us and say, hey, look, you know, Salesforce, they look Adobe, hey, look, whoever has been our partner for a long time, their revenue concentration is growing. And we went from all of a sudden servicing one country to all their countries. And now we've got Joe Schmo from corporate development calling us and saying, hey, can we talk more broadly about your business? And, yeah. and 
and that that use case happens a lot increasingly so and yeah to be honest with you i think that's likely how a strategic transaction is going to play out in this space um they realize they're behind they go partner with somebody and then that partnership discussion turns very quickly into m a and what's going to happen though is that first couple transactions they're going to have to pay up because private equity yeah. is as you know in a very interesting space dry powder really high, number of targets even smaller than it was pre-COVID. So their valuation levels are climbing at the moment, competitive processes. Yeah. Strategics, lots of balance sheet, have pipeline, want to go look at deals, but can't quite pay the same multiples as the, the PE guys can. And so there's going to be a fight for those first couple assets that go through with done the right way will drive really interesting levels of premium valuation, at least in our eyes. Yeah, I think that's right. Wow. Cool. Well, hey, Matt, this has, been, uh, this has been a pleasure. I think everybody's going to enjoy this one, and you're really glad to have you on. appreciate you uh, taking the time. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. appreciate it.